Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I'm going to give you an update on the site growth case study, mainly around guest post links that were obtained in the March and April timeframe. So for a quick refresher, this case study is about a site that I bought in December of 2019, right at the very end of 2019. I had about 25 articles. I improved some of the content using the FAQ method. Very simple. I just gave my VA some instructions and she added a few hundred words and a few questions to probably 80% of the post. I also added eight additional posts, brand new. I think there were KGR keywords are very close to it. And the revenue grew from $1,600 in 2019 to about $2,600 in 2020. And if we remember, which I'll go ahead and remind you, the commission rate changed with Amazon and all, all the revenue is from Amazon at this point. So there's a good chance it could have made a lot more money in 2020. Traffic was up pretty dramatic amount from 2019 to 2020 and the revenue was up by, I think it's like 63%. So the goal here is to add 321,000 more words, which is going to break down to about 140 articles or so in 2021. So I'm working with brand builders and they're supplying the services, I suppose, is what we're going to call it. They are publishing the content, they're doing the keyword research for me, and they are doing the backlinking as well. So one thing I didn't even didn't even think about to uh, check on is how many articles we've published already. Because I could tell you off the bat, early in the year, roughly January, February timeframe, we were behind. We were much further behind from what I expected. And we've can, we're trying to catch up. We're trying to catch up. And I'm honestly not 100% sure how many articles we've published so far. I know there were about uh, roughly 60,000 words of content on the site when we started in January. And then we roughly doubled it, that first publishing sprint in February. And as I mentioned, we're a little bit behind. So I, I probably need to jump in and let brand builders know, hey, we need to catch up, like what's the plan to catch up and that sort of thing, which I have been doing a little bit more of my project management stuff where I'm, I'm asking more questions and kind of, I'm, I'm a bad client. I, I'm pretty demanding just in general. So especially with uh, work like this, where we have very specific criteria that we're aiming towards and we have a, a pretty clear timeline an, a, an amount of time. So we should be able to break it down and understand like how much we need to publish to be able to hit our goal. So before I go on too far, I can let you know that right now, the traffic, the, the rankings, everything is roughly stable. I haven't seen a big uptick in traffic. I haven't seen a big uptick in the number of impressions, even though we've doubled the content. Now, this is a little surprising to me because I assumed that, you know, this particular site has been around for a while. It didn't have many backlinks. It was just ranking on its own because it was long tail keywords. And the site's been around since I think like 2014. I don't have it handy right here. The point is, I thought as soon as we published more content, it was going to start getting more impressions. It was going to start ranking for some of these long tail keywords and so on. It has not. And it's a little surprising to me. Now, one thing is the majority of the content is review, product review content. It is affiliate driven and not so informational. So again, I have just been a little bit surprised. And as we've published more in this past week, just one, one or two days ago, I published another, I think, 15 to 17 articles. So we will see how it goes. The next batch I know is going to be primarily, I think it's like 80 to 90% informational. And I hope to get more informational content on the site just in general. And that will also open up the possibility and the potential to add display ads on the site and boost the revenue. 
So let's get into some of the links and here's how it's going to work. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the metrics over at Hrefs. That's kind of where I am looking to, well, they have all the information there, especially on the backlink side of the house. So I'll share some of the information from there. And I actually went through every single one of the 10 guest posts and I looked at the site. I looked at whether or not they were getting much traffic and I looked on Hrefs for that. I looked to see what their domain rating was and their domain authority. And I also just visually looked at the sites to see if they had a bunch of sponsored posts, if it looked like a crappy site, or if it looked pretty legitimate and actually also got traffic. So I'm going to go pretty deep and pretty in-depth. And I think, you know, if you're looking to outsource link building or really any service, like you really have to look close because these services are relatively expensive just in general. Even if you have a fairly large budget and you start shopping around, you will see some services or you know, five, six times the cost. And it's hard to tell, you know, what, what, why, why, like, how is the quality that much better or that much worse? So it's a little hard to tell sometimes, but anyway, the point is here, I'm going to go in depth and I'm going to give you not just the actual metrics for the site, but I'm also going to give you sort of my subjective opinion. A lot of it is eventually it gets a little redundant, but just in general, I'll, I'll go over all those things. So this site has a domain rating. So the site that we're working on, the, the case study site has a domain rating of 4.4. And I think that actually it may have dropped down. I feel like it was um, as high as seven at some point, but right now in, at the end of May, I see that the domain rating is 4.4, which is very low. I mean, I, actually, I feel like that's hard to do. It's hard to get a domain rating that freaking low, but it is, it's 4.4. The UR rating that is the, uh, like for the homepage is 20. So that that's a lot higher and kind of interesting that it's worked out like that. But there really were very few links on this site in general beforehand. So on Hrefs, I see that currently, and I'm just going to talk about referring domains. I really don't care much about the total number of backlinks in, in this situation. So there are 70 referring domains and there are 30 do follow referring domains. Now, I believe that this site had about eight backlinks or eight referring domains before we started doing the work here. And that means there, and we got 12, or sorry, we got 10 more guest posts in this little sprint. So there were um, if I'm doing the math right here, there were about 12 referring domains that are unaccounted for. And they sort of happen, I mean, they happen naturally. There was no other link building going on. But the thing is, these are generally spammy links. And they were from like blogger.com or maybe like SEO related. So there was a, a couple links from like a keyword related website. So keyword basket and that sort of thing. So the baseline here is there weren't very many links in general, and now we're going to be adding some. Of course, at that point, you realize we have to figure out where are we going to send these links. And just like before, I deferred to brand builders to select where to link. I feel like this really mimics basically what you potentially would go through or a customer of brand builders would go through. And I try to limit my, you know, input. So they actually link to 10 different posts. Now, normally I would have picked probably two or three different posts to link to in hopes of sort of stacking the power for those individual posts. But I believe that brand builders looked at the posts that were close to ranking in the top 10 or some that used to rank a little bit higher, which I think is also valid. Still, I probably would have kind of consolidated and just sent the links to, you know, three different spots instead of 10 
different individual posts. Now, I know some people, I think I talked to Kyle Claver in the last uh, week or two, and he mentioned, if, if I remember right, it could have been someone else, but I think it was Kyle. Kyle said that he will generally link all over the place and Again, I, I may have mixed it up with someone else, but the point is some people do want to spread the links like kind of all over the place. And I think that's valid as well. So one thing that we haven't talked too much about is just the number of backlinks going to the home page. And generally, that's probably going to be a good thing to have branded anchor text going to the home page. That's very common if you look at you know, real blogs out there that don't do any link building. A lot of times, you know, 30, 50, 60% of the links are going to be going to the homepage with either the person's name who owns the blog or the brand, depending on, you know, what the company is or, or what they're doing on that blog. So anyway, we haven't done any of that, but I will be adding those, uh, or at least that recommendation for brand builders in the future. So overall, let's get into some of the details here of the links. So the average domain authority was 28.3 for the 10 links. The average domain rating was 25.75. The overall referring domains, the average overall referring domains, that was 813, which is pretty significant. That's higher than what I expected. And then the do follow referring domains, the average for all the 10 guest posts was 612. Now that does span from a low of 31 to a high of 2042, with the majority being in the hundreds. So 100... 300, there's a couple in the 600 and 800 range. So again, higher number of referring domains than I would have expected. Now, in general, these were uh, five links with a domain rating of over 20. That was sort of the metric. And then five links with a domain rating over 30. Now, when I look at the actual domain ratings, I see a low of 2.5 and high of 50. So a pretty wide range. Now that is actually, and I may have misspoke. So the, the domain authority was 20 or higher or 30 or higher. And then the domain rating, which I think a lot of people are giving a little bit more credibility. I think the domain rating is a little bit more accurate than the domain authority these days. I mean, let's face it, Moz was kind of the kind of the main SEO metrics company and they kind of they kind of fell off and I think Hrefs has the superior among all the other SEO analytics companies. They have Hrefs has the best backlink database and they just they crawl the web a little bit faster all right they, they seem to be doing a much better job and a more thorough job so of course these metrics can be manipulated and all that stuff but the point is the domain rating the average domain rating is 25.75 for these and it's a pretty wide range when i look at the traffic estimate from hrefs for organic traffic it ranges from uh, five visitors a month which happens to correspond to the very low domain rating of 2.5. That, that's the same site. So that site has a low rating and it doesn't get much traffic. And the high traffic estimate is 10,000 visitors per month. And there, there's quite a few that get, you know, I would say half or more get more than 1,000 visitors per month. Several of the sites do get, you know, five, 6,000 visitors per month. And oftentimes these estimates are much lower than the actual traffic that a site gets. So a handful of them get more, more traffic than others. And some of them are pretty low and they're just getting like, you know, a couple hundred visitors per month. But in general, each of these sites, they do get a little bit of traffic. So before I get into the specifics, uh, like my subjective and qualitative analysis on these, I'm going to send it over to one of our fine sponsors. 
Let's have a look at the featured domain for the day. This one is called realparanormalexperiences.com. So do you guys believe in ghosts? Turns out I am so fascinated with uh, like ghosts and, and the supernatural and stuff. I don't believe in ghosts, but that's not uh, really the point of this whole thing. But I always sort of read the stories and try to like learn the history of a place. And I'll, I'll sort of tie this together. So let's let's look at the domain and not hear about my the things that I don't believe in. So this is Real Paranormal Experiences. It is over here at Otis Global. That's O-D-Y-S. And I do need to uh, mention that if you sign up using my link, you can get $100 into your account. So what might you do with this site? Well, first, let's just look at the metrics really quickly here. So I'm over at Hrefs, and you can see that the domain rating is about 10. There are 175 referring domains and 110 of them are due follow. A lot of them are highly relevant and they're pretty kick-ass links. We'll take a look at a couple of them and just look at sort of the referring domains in general. That's kind of the thing that I like to look at myself. The organic traffic um, was, uh, you know, kind of significant for a little while and then tapered off. And of course, now there's there's no traffic. It's just sitting there. There are quite a few competitors out there. So I think there's a pretty good amount of just keywords that you could go after and you could check those other sites. I actually have some fantastic ideas, which I'll tell you about in a second. It is ranking for a handful of keywords, uh, even still with no content out there. So if you actually publish the content again, you'd probably uh, stand a pretty good chance to rank. Now, again, I mentioned the referring domain. So we have uh these are the do follow. So we have Business Insider, we have uh, Libsyn, Podbean, Bustle, Insider.com, Hub Pages, Ranker, LoveToKnow.com, and so on. There's just a lot of sort of high powered links out there. With this domain, there are really endless, I would contend there are endless informational topics that you could add to this site. You basically could take like a local approach. And I'll give you a specific example. Like I said, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated to go on ghost tours and I've been on a couple. They're always fun. Like I said, I don't believe in ghosts, but I just like to go check it out. You know, I like to hear the history. There's always stories behind it. So actually not too far from here is the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. And that is where Stephen King stayed when he was inspired to write the book called The Shining, which is fantastic. He even wrote a sequel for it. So I took the ghost tour over at the Stanley. Really fun. I also traveled to uh, Leadville, Colorado, not too long ago. You may have seen that video that I did. And it's an old mining town, lots of history. Now it's more of a sort of a, a tourist um, spot, some some uh, small businesses in there, but generally it's a place where people do things in the mountain and they make that their home base. It has many buildings and many structures and history that are, you know, a couple hundred years old and there's all these uh, ghost stories. So I literally got to town and Googled Leadville, Colorado ghost stories or hauntings or something like that to see what was going on. And sure enough, there are multiple stories. There's even a whole book on it. So I contend that you could find and research and hire people to find these ghost stories all over the country for basically every single little town. And you may think, oh, where am I even going to find this information? There are books for... Um, any locality. So you can find like Yellowstone National Park ghost stories or, you know, Atlanta, Georgia ghost stories or Boulder, Colorado ghost stories. I'm not very original. I'm only thinking of places that I've been to and or lived, but you get the point. Other metrics on this site created in 2015. So it's six years old and I'm I'm thinking that you probably could monetize with ads just in general, but one little extra thing is if you actually pulled together um, enough content for a specific location, for example, let's say you you focused on Colorado and you got all this content on Colorado 
ghost stories, you probably could find the different companies that give ghost tours and have them run ads. Like I said, there are ghost tours all over different places that have some historical um, things going on, which I would say most big cities probably have at least a few hundred years of history. You can cover the stuff there. And then you potentially could promote these trips and tours. You can get a a payment for specific referrals, or you could just run ads specifically. If you thought even bigger, let's say I really focused on Leadville, for example, I might be able to have some sort of affiliate relationship or referral commission to refer people to hotels or Airbnbs or or whatever. So if you're really into the supernatural, if you're really into this sort of stuff, you could go this route. One other thing I'll layer on top is there are actually little devices and uh, like ghost hunting tools that people use. And I put that in quotes uh, for maybe uh, obvious reasons, but there are little devices and sometimes it'll detect uh, like electromagnetic waves or some kind of other thing. I don't know what they do. The point is you could be an affiliate for those products. So you literally could uh, have reviews on those products take pictures and and do whatever. So if you were into this genre, if you were into this niche, it'd be a perfect site to snag. And like I mentioned before, the, the links going to it are pretty amazing. So thanks again to Otis Global. Don't forget, you can get $100 into your account if you use my affiliate link. So you just follow it over there. And I appreciate the support. I've worked with a lot of backlinking companies and services and done guest posting myself. And as time has gone on here, and a lot more people are trying to get backlinks by sending cold emails and reaching out to different bloggers and websites, the bloggers and websites realize there's a imbalance with the supply and demand. So a lot of times you have to pay money to get a guest post or there's some admin fee or something like that. It is absolutely possible to get links without having to pay, but if you do this for a little while and you start sending out emails and try to get guest posts, more often than not, you're probably going to be asked to pay some sort of an admin fee or something like that. Right. So Google doesn't like you to pay for links, but the fact is it's pretty much impossible to trace it down or anything like that. It's not like Google has access to PayPal records or anything like that. Even if you have like receipts in your email or Gmail inbox, I don't think they're tracing it down. There's all sorts of like privacy issues if they were to do that. But the point is, I know some people are thinking, hey, I don't want to pay for links in any capacity. And I get it. That's cool. It's a decision that you know you can make and I'm not trying to convince you otherwise. All that to say, I don't know exactly what Brand Builders is doing, but my hunch would be they're probably paying some sort of placement fee here and there. That is what companies do. And if you you know check around and, and see what's going on and if you find a company that is transparent and explaining exactly what they do, they'll say, yeah, we'll pay some kind of you know little fee if we need to. Of course, it has to fit into the budget. And you could imagine that they have to fit their margin and their overhead and all that stuff and still make money. So overall, I'm trying to say some of these links could have been paid for. Okay, so let's get into the subjective and qualitative analysis. And some of these sites didn't get much traffic, but some of them were pretty niche specific. So when it comes down to it, I'd probably rather have a very niche specific link from a site if they cover that topic area on their site versus a, you know, quote, better link from a higher authority site that is completely irrelevant. And there's a couple of examples in this, but it was a kind of a nice uh, mix. Some of them were more general, some of them were more specific. So one of the sites, they actually covered a lot of sports and music and culture, but it was mostly a sports site, which my site doesn't have anything to do with sports. There were a couple other guest posts, but it looked like there were mostly legitimate posts. One of the other sites was very relevant and it was a legit blog 
you could tell this was an actual person, their persona was on there, and it fit exactly with the niche. This site, unfortunately, didn't get very much traffic, but it did have quite a few referring domains and like a hundred do follow referring domains. And typically they were from other blogs. And I think the person just did a really nice job networking. So that was a good link, even though the site doesn't get very much traffic. One other thing that I always look for is the number of sponsored posts or other guest posts that a site might publish, right? So I don't want to be on a site where they have 60% and I'm just making up that number where they have a high number, a clear percentage of their posts are guest posts that are clearly linking to someone building links. You could usually tell that because the anchor text is very specific. It's uh, kind of an uh, like a, a, a weird topic, for example, for the niche. And it just stands out. And you don't want to get a link from a site that is really just publishing mostly guest posts that they're receiving money for. And this particular site, the one I just mentioned, that was niche specific, they didn't have very many sponsored posts. There were a couple, but not too many. Next one was a real personal blog, very random topics, like you would imagine from a, an actual blogger who doesn't have a specific niche and they're just writing about things they're interested in. The weird thing is there were quite a few contributed posts here. So I'm not sure if it was a blog at some point and now the person just publishes these really sponsored posts and contributed posts. But it did get um, a relatively uh, reasonable, I'll just say reasonable amount of traffic. It it says that the estimated traffic is about 2,000 visitors per month. So the downside with that one was that there were quite a few contributed posts, but it did fit um, just generally. I mean, it looks like a real blog. The next couple, there were a few of these and they were kind of new sites and gaming sites and they cover a little bit of entertainment and a little bit of science and technology. They, and I think there were about three like that. These had a lot of content. They seem to have a few sponsored posts, but not a absurd amount. So there were probably more than I would have hoped, but it did seem acceptable because they publish a lot of content on those sites. The unfortunate part is they were all kind of random, right? So if, if it's a news site, there's just like tons of different stories. They also covered entertainment and you can focus different areas of entertainment. So it was just kind of random on those few sites. I don't know if I would call them a, like a content mill, but if someone called them a content mill, I would not argue with them. They just, they're publishing just tons of random stuff and it's hard to tell exactly what's going on. Some of them had ads on them, right? So, you know, they're getting some traffic there. And in fact, some of the highest traffic sites are the ones that I'm talking about now, like news related. In fact, looking at the numbers, they are indeed the highest traffic sites. A couple of them get about 6,000 visitors per month. That's the estimate, of course, and one of them is about 10,000. So, you know, they're getting a pretty significant amount of traffic and they they are just a little random. So that's the downside on that one. One of the more interesting ones was a, a site that covered state level activities and events. Now, it was it was kind of kind of strange because as I looked at it, I thought, oh, is this like a fake site that someone put together and now they're just selling links on it? But it's actually legit. There were real current events and it kind of reminded me of some of the local newspapers. Um, like there was one in Atlanta called Creative Loafing and it was a free newspaper out there and they covered current events and they had a writing staff and, you know, it's a free newspaper and they just sell ads in it. So that's what this site was. And it was for a specific state. So in, in fact, I can't, um, I won't mention exactly what, I'll make up a different state, California. All right. So we'll just say it's California 
and they had all these different uh, ad packages and different ways that you could work with them and advertise. So, in fact, they had several different ways you can do it. Now, I thought it made complete sense to post on that site. And of course, they, you know, I'm sure brand builders pay to be able to post there, but that was one of the advertising packages. And the thing is, it makes complete sense in the scope of a site like that. It, I mean, it's advertising. It's literally advertising and they had a dozen different options and ways you could work with them. So that site actually gets quite a bit of traffic. It wasn't very niche specific, but it did have um, the traffic and a lot of different topic areas that could be included in the site, like new sites are, but it, you know, it was just kind of random and it wasn't niche specific. Okay. The last couple here were sort of lifestyle and culture and fashion. One of them had a little bit on uh, local cities and real estate. Another one had a little bit more on the health aspect. And these got a little bit of traffic and they had quite a few do follow referring domains. The downside in the three that I'm referring to right now is they had quite a few sponsored posts. So when I looked back at the last, say, five or six posts, the majority of them were sponsored. And you could you can see it sometimes the site will note if it's a paid spot or a contributed ad or something like that, and they'll, they'll note it in there, which I think Google wants us to do. But most of the time, us bloggers don't do that. I mean, if, if you're trying to build links, like you don't want, you don't want it to be noted there. So anyway, it wasn't noted. Overall, I wasn't thrilled with the last three links that I mentioned there. They had quite a few sponsored posts and it was very clear. Now, those happened to be the highest domain rating and domain authority sites. Uh, and they actually get a little bit of traffic too. So, I mean, it's a, it's a balance. And it, I think the tough part with link building and guest posts and all, all this stuff in this industry in general is we know links are important and we can see a very clear correlation with sites that are ranking well and sites that have a lot of backlinks. Like if you if you look around, like no one's really going to argue with that. There's a lot of data supporting it. Now, the hard part is we don't know which links are really good ones. So even if the metrics are good, it might not be a really awesome link. And it, it's just... It's hard to tell. And then back in the day when I first got started in like 2013, 2014, we could get a link and then see the rankings change in just a couple days. Now there's like this huge delay and we don't really know if a specific link or set of links or a link building campaign is really paying off until there's more time passed. That was a horrible sentence, but it takes longer to see the impact of these backlinks. So you hear, you may have to do some uh, link building for three or, or five or 10, 12 months before you see any impact. And it seems like it could be a waste. And I know a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to publish more content because I know that works. It has worked in the past versus trying to build backlinks that you don't know if they're going to work. You have very little information that you, you get along the way, very little feedback. And then once time does pass, if it does work, you don't know which one or which ones of the 50 backlinks that you got really mattered. Maybe it was only like two of them, but I don't know how you can tell which ones are effective. There's so many different variables. So I don't know the answer to the question, <laughs> but it's a, it's a tough one. It's a real tough one, but I, I feel like backlinks are a critical part. I mean, the best way to do it would be, you know, networking and getting the, the links naturally or going on podcast and making appearances and people will naturally become aware of you. You know, you would get a link from the podcast, which makes sense. That would, that would be good, but you also get your name out there or the name of the website and people will potentially go 
check out the information there and they will link to it or they'll share it on Twitter or whatever. And that's really the best way to do it. Much less control, but you end up with, I would suspect, better links, probably more powerful links that are really effective. So overall, I would give brand builders like a B on this you know set of 10 links here. Some of them were pretty good. All the sites get some traffic. Two of the 10 were pretty low. Um, one of them had the estimated traffic of five, the other one of 15. All the others were in the you know thousand range. but those those couple sites that got very little traffic, those uh, I don't have as much confidence in those. However, one of those that gets very little traffic is the one that was the most relevant. So little, you know, you can't have everything. <laughs> you can't have everything. I know that uh, Brand Builders is going to be, I think they're doing a few more links in the next month or so. And I have requested that they build links to the homepage with a branded anchor text. That is something that is uh, lacking at this point in time. And I am curious to see how that is going to help. I think I might even might even experiment with a, a little bit of uh, some other link building as well, which um, I'll sh- which I, I would just do personally, just because I, I want to see some more links going to the homepage with that branded anchor text, and just to get you know more links in general and some diversity of links. I, I, that's another thing I didn't even touch on here, but I think it's good to have links coming from different places using different methods and different companies and all that stuff. So I will keep you posted on that. If you have any questions on this site growth case study, please let me know. Feedback at Doug.show and I'll see, you know, well, I need to talk about it more. I'm trying to really follow through on this case study, continue to give updates and all that stuff. So yeah, let me know if you have questions and I'll circle back and get you those answers or go deeper into certain areas in an upcoming episode. Each morning I wake up and usually I'll get some coffee going. I do a pour over coffee and I think I've sort of settled on this uh, coffee company called, uh, I think it's Bowers, and they're out of Denver actually, but I get a couple pound bag over at Sam's and I'll make some coffee. I, you know, Georgie's with me. She's like, hey, give me some breakfast. So I'll, I'll feed her, of course. And then I'm getting the coffee going. Once it is uh, done, I'll get a cup. Typically, I'll go stand outside with Georgie, let her out in the backyard. She'll do her business you know, and I stepped out today and it was kind of a little cool and crisp. That's one of the nice things living in the, well, anywhere there's a high elevation, but particularly here in the uh, front range of Colorado, even if it's, you know, getting to be summertime, it's warming up. We're high enough in uh, elevation. We're about 5,000 feet here in Longmont where it's a little cool. It's a little cool and crisp even on a day where it's going to be quite warm. So I stepped outside and the sun the sun was up already even though it was, you know, like pretty early in the morning. I think it was a few minutes after six. So I stepped out and it was a little cool, a little chilly, a couple goosebumps popped up, but then the sun or at least some some brightness from the sun was uh, shining or reflecting on me. I think the sun was behind a house. So anyway, there was some portion that was like reflecting uh, some warm heat onto me. So it was kind of a nice feeling in the sky was so blue. There were a couple like wispy white clouds and it reminded me of just waking up early and getting ready to head out on a road trip, which I love road trips. Uh, a couple summers ago, drove from here in Colorado all the way to Alaska, uh, sort of up the the middle of the country and through Canada as well. And then on the way back, we drove through uh, or, or took the coastal route, or at least the you know w- more western route. We weren't on the coast uh, a whole heck of a lot. But we did stop by Vancouver before heading back here. But anyway, the point is I love a road trip. And this morning, it just reminded me of 
you know, the, the clear air and you're about to hit the open road out there. And it occurred to me that while well, I was talking to my friend, Matt, and he, he was, he was saying he doesn't really like road trips so much. And I'm like, oh man, I could just drive and drive. And I think some people get bored and, and that sort of thing. A lot of times I'll listen to audiobooks that sort of passes the time a little better, but I mean, driving to Alaska, that is about six, seven days of driving pretty much all day. So you see all sorts of things. And I think that's what I like. You potentially are driving through what a lot of people would think was really boring. So some of my early road trips, uh, they were from like long road trips. It was from Georgia all the way out here to Colorado. So back in 2002, I worked my first summer at the Rocky Mountain National Park. And I took, um, I think it's about a 20... 22 hour drive roughly, but I took my time and I, I think I made it a three day drive. So I, I stopped and I didn't overdo it. And I just, I had a nice time driving. And one thing is, well, my, my voice is getting a little wrecked there. So I'm back. I had to pause there for a second. Anyway, Kansas is traditionally a boring place to drive through. It's very flat. There's just fields of uh, either nothing or corn, and you're just driving on the interstate. There's not much going on. And I remember people saying, oh, it's so boring in, in Kansas. You don't even have to you know, turn, which is true. I mean, you just stay on 70 for a really long way. And I, I used to think it was boring, but now I think it's it's awesome. It's beautiful. And it's turns out it's very similar if you drive through Nebraska or North Dakota or South Dakota, they're all, they're all kind of flat in their own way, depending on where you're at. There's hills here and there, but it's a, uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, people would call it boring, but it's just peaceful. And, and one of the things that I appreciate is there's not that many people on the road, or if there are, it's a little bit unusual and we're all just kind of driving the same speed. Or maybe there's some, some people driving really fast. But the point is, it's a very peaceful drive just in general. And I've gone back and forth now from either Colorado to Georgia or vice versa, or all the way to Montana to Georgia and back and forth. So I've driven you know that really long way a few times, and it's kind of nice. And I actually enjoy especially you know from here leaving from denver the denver area heading back east it's a very easy drive the first full day you know 10 11 hours driving back east at least taking that route on 70 and and going through kansas it's very easy it's a very easy drive so peaceful there's not many people on the road and I, I just enjoy it. Now, the thing is, I don't have any uh, road trips planned in, in the short term anyway, at least uh, not anytime soon or now that I'm thinking about it, not for the rest of the year, which is okay. I mean, we'll, we'll probably do some other traveling. I mean, I drove back to Georgia a couple times last year anyway. So, well, and, and honestly, I'm, I'm not in a big hurry to get back to Georgia, especially in the summer. It's very hot. It's very hot and humid. I was there last summer and good Lord. I mean, it's, it's no fun. Like I said, here, at least in the, uh, the Rockies, in the areas where you have a higher elevation, at least at night, it gets a lot cooler. So you may have a hundred degree day, but it might, it might get down to, uh, you know, 50 degrees at night, something like that which isn't too bad. I mean, you got a cool, crisp morning. You have a, a few hours of pretty hot weather, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It was pretty nice this morning. I like to see those uh, nice blue skies and the mountains look pretty amazing. In the last couple of days here, I've had trouble with my, my newer camera. So I have a couple Canons. I'm kind of a Canon person. I use those film cameras like 35 millimeter back in the day. So I've always had Canon lenses and they kind of, I mean, they're good. People like Canon. Uh, I mean, Sony's good. Uh, they're all fine. They're all fine, but uh, I have Canon stuff. So anyway, last year I got this uh, EOS RP. 
and it's a full frame mirrorless camera. I was looking to upgrade and this looked like a good fit for me, so I bought it. I got a refurbished one and a refurbished lens. So I got a 35 millimeter f1.8, which is great. It's a great setup. It's very light. The camera's light. The lens is light. The lens is great for low light. It's great for portraits. I mean, 35 millimeter is a very nice focal length and I really enjoy it. Anyway, the camera's been great. I've been using this RP plus my T7i, which I've had for a few years. The T7i is a crop sensor. It's like an APS. So, the resolution isn't as high, but I mean, it's good enough for, you know, what I'm doing 99% of the time. Anyway, so I got this RP and it's been fantastic. Really enjoy using it over the past year. And I got it almost exactly a year ago. And I know that because the warranty just ran out. Well, I think people see where this is going. Just recently, I've been having a few issues with it. Now, luckily, it will video and take pictures and do the things that cameras do which is good. I'm still using it for live streaming and stuff like that. But the trouble that I'm having is the fucking thing when you turn it off, right? So I I turn it on, use it. I turn it off and it will like turn off for a second. And then the LCD screen on the back will pop on. And basically it's just still on. So there's some malfunction or something fucked up on the on off switch. So if anyone has any experience with this, especially with the Canon um, R series lineup. There's several of those cameras out there now. I got the least expensive one, the RP, and they get much more expensive very quickly. So the one I got was, uh, I think it's like $900 if you get a refurbished one, which this is the first refurbished thing that I've had an issue with. It looked brand spanking new. It must have been an open box situation or something like that but the next one up is the eos r and i think that one's like 1600 and then there's some that are like four or five thousand dollars i mean it gets insane and i don't need anything like that basically the the rp should be just fine the one flaw the thing that i was i was sort of testing um recently is recording in 4k And the autofocus in 4K is kind of crappy, but I was talking to a friend recently, a YouTuber, and she was telling me about YouTube like really favoring 4K content. And it's not something that I have been paying attention to because typically, and I can see the analytics on my side and, you know, chatting with people, most people are watching on their phone or another mobile device, and they're probably not watching a 4K version. In fact, if they were, they probably wouldn't be able to tell unless they had the you know phone pressed up against their face or something like that. But my friend told me that YouTube was going to be favoring algorithmically the 4K videos, and I don't know how, how much it's going to you know, play a a role, but I thought, well, technically this EOS RP can do 4K. Let's see what we can do. I'll have to probably turn it off autofocus and just lock it in. And I think the the biggest thing will be when I'm recording the podcast with with Carl and doing the Mile High Fi. I mean, I guess I can do some 4K stuff myself, but and just lock in the auto focus or yeah, lock in the focus and turn it on manual. So it doesn't have to hunt around for me. And I mean, the thing is with Canon, they have the dual pixel auto focus, which they have a very good auto focus system. And I think it came out in the, I think it was like the 70 D uh, back in the day. So the T7i has the dual pixel autofocus. However, the T7i doesn't do 4K, it's just 1080p. So typically I just record in 1080p. That is good enough. It's HD, it looks pretty pretty good. But I was going to start doing 4K, which apparently I can even stream in 4K. But again, I'll have to figure out what I'm going to do with the autofocus, which I think most of the time it should be okay. But It's just something I'll have to play with. All right, so I think the whole point of that was if you know, if you've had experience with the like on-off 
dial for a Canon camera go bad or if you have any experience. Because, I mean, I don't want to have work done on it if it'll still operate. I'm afraid it's one of those deals where if I send it off for work, it'll end up costing a lot of money and then it'll take like eight weeks or some kind of nonsense like that. As I mentioned before, I realized that I bought this uh, just over one year ago because it's so sad. The warranty just ran out. The refurbished have a one-year warranty and I didn't get any kind of extended warranty. So literally days after the warranty ran out is when I started having this issue and I fuck. I mean, what a pain in the ass. It wasn't going to be fun to have warranty work if it was covered, but if I have to pay for it myself, it's even less fun. I mean, I, I don't want to do that. So, and then when I started looking at the EOS RP versus the R, the R actually has the dual pixel autofocus on the 4K so you end up with the ability to have, you know, the high quality autofocus with 4K, which is the thing that this RP is lacking. I think there's a couple other features too, but things that I don't care about. So at least I don't think I care about them. Oh, I hope the I hope it continues to work for me, but usually if things start to break and malfunction, they usually don't get better. They usually get worse. So I'm afraid there's other switches or things that may go wrong. And I don't think, um, you know, as I'm talking about it, this sort of uh, malfunction would make me think, oh, did it get wet somehow? But I, I mean, usually it's in the studio where I'm using it indoors and I'm not like spraying it with water or something. And uh, the times that I'm outside, I mean, it's sunny most of the time around here. It hasn't gotten any kind of wet wetness or, um, you know, any other damage. I haven't dropped it. Nothing weird has happened. It just stopped turning on and off properly. So gosh, I hope it keeps working. Anyway, I think that's it for today. I have uh, an awesome episode coming up with Stacy Caprio. And she used to be an ad manager, but now she's a website flipper and she's been featured on a lot of other um, cool places, not just the Doug show, but she'll be uh, joining me for the next episode, Doug show number 255. So have a good week out there and I'll catch you on the next episode.